0: Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting-edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Okay. Well, thanks for joining in, everyone. Uh, today, I have a special guest with me, um, a good friend of mine, uh, Kyle, who's also uh, studying naturopathy uh, here in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, welcome to the show, Kyle. Thanks for having me, Lucas. It's good to be here. And yeah, let's get into it. What do you want to talk about today? Sweet. <laughs> well, yeah, we, wanted to, um, we really wanted to dedicate this episode to uh, po- uh, peptides in mm-hmm. particular. Um, You know, understanding their therapeutic benefits and how they can benefit people for a wide variety of conditions. Um, Mm -hmm.
1: We've both got a fair bit of experience with peptides. Um, Obviously, the oral ones are ones that we've both experimented with a fair bit, but... Just so everyone knows, there are peptides that you can inject and we don't really have any experience with those ones, do we? I've, ne- I've never used them myself. Neither have I. No. There's a lot of biohackers out there, I'm sure, who have actually used these ones and got some benefits. But for today, I think we'll just stick to our lane and talk about what we've actually tried and experienced. And the main one that we're going to be talking about, I think, is BPC-157.
0: Yeah. So we'll, we'll obviously be expanding on BPC, but we're also going to talk about like a naturopathic principles to supporting gut health as well. Absolutely. Because we understand that obviously these peptides are powerful. Mm. um, They're also expensive. Expensive (laughs) as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, But we also understand that, you know, there are many other factors that influence gut health beyond just, you know, using peptides. Mm. Um, So I guess we can sort of start out by maybe explaining, you know, what what are peptides in general? Mm. Like,
1: Yeah, so peptides are just sequences of amino acids. They're generally less than 50 amino acids long. Um, So a peptide's a small protein, basically. Um, Our body makes so many, so many different peptides in the body, Um, and I think at the moment they're studying about 9,000 different peptides for use in the body. Um, But, yeah, peptides uh, can be synthesised synthetically, and then we can supplement them. Mm. They They use what's called an amino acid sequencer, and they combine all the individual pro, uh, amino acids together to create a pro, to create a peptide, right. which we can then supplement and use for therapeutic for conditions or diseases and stuff like that. So,
0: okay, so I mean, do you think um, for our listeners, do you think they'd be familiar with any other peptides in this in this space? Like, which yeah. which are some other <laughs> commonly used peptides that people might know about?
1: The most commonly used one in the world is insulin. Everyone knows about insulin. If you're diabetic, you're very familiar with it, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, that's um, mm. that's the most commonly used peptide. Other ones are, well, there's obviously BPC. Um, some other ones, there's like glucagon's a
0: peptide as well. It's mm. not one
1: that we use pharmaceutically, but, yeah, there's...
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't think of too many more The know? one that. The one that I think um, the Aussie listeners would know about is AOD9604. Oh, yeah. The yeah. one, yeah, the The scan. anti-obesity. yeah the one that um uh, an afl football team Mm. um essendon got caught for using because it i mean it would strip body fat and help preserve muscle mass Mm.
1: Um, well that's in theories they i think with aod they were researching it as an anti-obesity drug to strip fat and it's kind of worth 50 percent of the time but they kind of repurposed it for regrowing cartilage tissue (laughs) intra into the joint they would inject hyaluronic acid with the aod and that in animal studies, at least, and over in the states, with some of the functional practitioners over there, have been doing AOD into the into the joints for cartilage regeneration.
0: Mm. That's one thing that I love about peptides is the fact that they're um, they're effects, meaning that they're so broad spectrum and they can be used for a variety of uh, conditions. And I guess that's why we're we're here today to discuss BPC, um, and that's because. I mean, its benefits go so far beyond um, its title. I mean, it, it's literally called BPC. It stands for Body Protective Compound. So, I mean, that gives you a clue into what it can do for the body. Um, but, I mean, do you want to tell our listeners, like, where is this produced? Like, is it yeah already produced by the body?
1: Yeah, so a lot of the peptides that we are supplementing or people are taking are produced somewhere in the body. BPC is mainly produced in your gastric juices so we our body makes this by itself and that's for the purpose of healing ulcers the stomach's a really acidic environment and if you get something go wrong in there all that hydrochloric acid can be very damaging to the body mm. so it had it makes its own version of this peptide um, where we supplement it is when we sort of run out of using the BPC if we've used it too if we've if we're not able to Mitigate the damage and repair the damage from B, um, that's occurred to the stomach or the gastrointestinal system. Then you can supplement it on top. But yeah, it's naturally found in the stomach acid, mm. and because it's found in the stomach acid, we can take it orally. There we go. Yeah, so that's um, a big question a lot of people ask about BPC is it's just going to be broken up by the stomach acid, isn't it? And the answer is no, because that's where it's produced.
0: Exactly, and that's um, that is definitely one unique feature about BPC. Um, and I remember actually reading a, a pretty cool study where they uh, they deliberately induced um, stomach ulcers mm. through NSAIDs. Yeah. So for our listeners, NSAIDs are just non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Mm-hmm. So things like what ibuprof- uh, ibuprofen, yeah, Voltaren. <laughs>
1: Well, even aspirin can cause the stomach ulcers too and there was one study where they used high-dose aspirin to induce stomach ulcers in mm. people and uh, they used they used the BPC alongside that and completely protected against the negative effects of the um, NSAIDs on your stomach and your gut line.
0: It also makes me wonder whether BPC could be therapeutic, like a therapeutic intervention for H. pylori.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely it could be. Um, I think some of the studies have shown that. There's a few other... Ingredients. So I think zinc carnosine is a big one. Mm. So going beyond, going a bit more naturopathically and not just using peptides, there's plenty of things that can sort of help heal your gut and heal mm. your stomach. And zinc carnosine has got a lot of studies behind um, helping with H. pylori infections and mm. sort of stomach ulcers.
0: This is an interesting, you know, um, we're here to talk about uh, peptides, but we also, we also want to like, we do acknowledge that there's absolutely a time and place for these natural interventions because we know that Mm. they're also very powerful and we'll probably have to dedicate another episode just talking Mm. about what we have in our naturopathic toolkit like kyle just mentioned zinc carnosine's very powerful i mean we've got so many other compounds that we can use
1: (laughs) the list is kind of endless for gut healing Mm. Um, i'm sure people who've tried their own gut healing protocols know that It can get a bit excessive with the amount of things you take. You can start with glutamine. That's a very Mm. basic one. The thing with BPC, though, is it's such a powerful intervention. It sort of shortcuts the whole process. Mm. Like If you've been having gut issues for months and you've tried all the aloe veras and the glutamines and all of these, even zinc carnosines, sort of like 50-50, whether it works for certain people, if you've tried all these things, that's where you might need a heavy hitter like a peptide, for example, Mm. and that sort of fits into our model because we kind of want to going first with the least intervention possible. Mm. Um, But when things don't work and symptoms aren't improving, that's when you kind of have to bring in something like this to help people improve their quality of life.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, And sometimes people need a rapid kickstart to their healing journey. I mean, they might. And some people have been, you know, the chronic disease, like for a lot of people that can be, very debilitating, gets them down, they feel like they reach a point where they're just lost, they don't know what to do. And this is where I think something powerful like BPC could, you know, facilitate that healing process, Um, particularly for people who have also, like, exhausted everything. Mm -hmm. I I personally have called upon it as, like, a last resort. I mean, it's always, like, in my back pocket. I'm like, oh, am I going to pull out the BPC? (laughs) Pull out the big guns. Yeah. yeah. Um, Yeah. Because it is a heavy hitter. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's
1: very expensive, as we said. Unfortunately, it's 18 times the price of gold per gram. So that's like if anyone's actually purchased it or looked into buying it, you can see the price tag's pretty high on it. Mm. And for most people, it's inaccessible, especially Mm. if you're on a budget and during hard times. It's something that you really want to make sure it works if you're going to be investing in it so Mm. if you can do like a glutamine or something and get the same results as bpc for gut healing then glutamine is like 30 dollars for a kilo and that'll Mm. last you a good two months so that's Mm. that would be my preferential intervention for someone to begin with but as we were saying if you're not getting results (laughs) of these things and you want to improve your quality of life really fast Mm. that's where you'd use something like bpc or any other peptide
0: Mm. is there a crossover in terms of um so obviously glutamine is found in many gut healing formulas mm-hmm. um is there a crossover in, in terms of its action with bpc like do they both sort of target the same do they have the same sort of ac- action in in the in the gut i think glutamine is just
1: more providing the building blocks mm. bpc provides the growth factors which sort of give the body direction as how to use the building blocks mm. um bpc will increase things like vascular endothelial growth factor So this sort of works on a genetic level, where it gets your body's it help makes your body it gives your body instructions on how to rebuild things. So if you're combining something with glutamine with the BBC, then you're going to have really good results because the building blocks are coming in, and then they're being instructed as to what to do. Mm. Um, Without the instruction, sometimes these things mightn't work. But a lot of the time, the body's got its own innate intelligence; it will know what to do Mm. with these things. provided the problems not too widespread or there's not too much inflammation confusing it
0: hmm it's interesting have you I mean we both I mean, we both actually used BPC um, mm. in the past I personally used it orally um, to heal a knee injury that I had for literally I think two and a half years I had a torn meniscus uh, medial meniscus um, and I read about it um through ben greenfields you know (laughs) how to heal like a wolverine post um got my hands on a bottle and started dosing it you know i was on the lower dose i think it was 200 micrograms Mm -hmm. um orally and i stuck with that dose for like two weeks um but within the first few days i started noticing some other benefits i mean i sort of knew about the brain benefits Mm -hmm. um but I think the most profound effect for me early on was the fact that it boosted my deep sleep all the way up to three hours, 15 minutes, which was phenomenal. Like (laughs) it was, it was insane. I remember going to uni the next day, just feeling super clear headed, super like really energized and feeling really good. Um, so that was another, you know, accidental benefit
1: a lot of people have had that benefit of the deep sleep boosting i know personally since i've been taking it Mm. i used to average about an hour deep sleep which isn't ideal but since then minimum of an hour 45 with it so Mm. it also kind of funnily enough has decreased the amount of total sleep i've had i'm still getting that deep and that REM phase in in like two hour blocks like i would if i'd if i slept out eight hours it might take me the full eight hours to get Mm. those blocks but now i can get those same restorative stages in about six or seven so sort of increasing the productivity overall Mm.
0: so yeah i think um part of that benefit on like to help with sleep actually revolves around what it does in the like to the gabaergic system Mm. i mean i've seen some pretty cool um research papers talking about how it actually it's been used to reduce tolerance to um commonly commonly used benzodiazepines mm. so that's a obviously we're not um in, encouraging people to be using these benzo medications it's quite the opposite exactly <laughs> um but having said that there are a lot of people that are still you know struggling to get off them mm-hmm. um and so it's pretty i think it's quite unique that mm. bpc can work on that GABAergic system similar to um nigella sativa uh that's a, like that's, a, you know, that's a botanical black seed oil, um, which has also been shown to have a similar effect on that GABAergic system as well. Um, but apart from the sleep benefits um, and obviously the physical injuries and healing, mm. what are some other known benefits of BPC-157?
1: Well, before we go off the, um, the physical healing and uh, injury uh, recovery, I want to give like a quick anecdote of me using it for the past three months. Sure. Uh, So during lockdown, I've been fortunate enough to have access to a gym the whole time. And I've been absolutely smashing it every day for a minimum of an hour and a half, two hours. And you just don't get sore. (laughs) It's crazy. Um, Combining that with obviously a good diet, rich in meats and rich in all these things that help sort of regenerate your muscle, Mm. even those things, have I'd done them in the past, and it was the addition of the BPC, which is just not, I've just not had soreness. It's been pretty awesome. Mm. A lot of people have reported that too. Mm. Um, and that, I think that works because it, another mechanism is it up, upregulates growth hormone receptors in, yeah. the, in the connective tissue and even into the muscle to a small extent, mm. but mainly in the connective tissue, and that's why it's really good for healing the meniscus or healing yeah. an ACL or any sort of connective tissue injury that you've mm. had. So that's um, one of the mechanisms. Um, Some of the other mechanisms, obviously, are the gut healing. Again, the gut is a lot of connective tissue. Mm. So a lot of people with um, Crohn's disease, inflammatory bowel disease, um, even just leaky gut, hyperpermeability of the gut, will find that this thing is a real heavy hitter for sealing up those tight junctions, Mm. which there's so many things in the diet and even in our lifestyle that open up our junctions and make us vulnerable to toxins or bacteria or pathogens that are in our lumen in our gut um flowing through our gut um if we have our barriers down that's the equivalent of having an open wound it's just inside Mm of us so though that adds so much inflammation to the body and it also kind of distracts our immune system from dealing with other stuff because if you're having a a slow trickle of stuff coming in through your gut the immune system's got to respond to that so if you've got something else going on in your body, whether it's something in your brain or something elsewhere in an organ, your immune system sort of prioritizing short-term survival in mm. the gut. Mm. Um, so if you can seal up the gut, obviously it's it's the Hi- Hippocratic thing, isn't it? Like Hippocrates, all health begins in the gut. Mm. If you can fix the gut first, then you're going to make tremendous inroads for every other disease, condition, or even um, it, just improving your health overall. So mm. that's why I love this this peptide and I love all the other um, gut healing ingredients as in carnosines, glutamine, quercetin, um, butyrate, all these things are fantastic for the gut and the downstream benefits of addressing the root cause of most disease is actually, it's just amazing what yeah. you can do for you.
0: So you mentioned obviously leaky gut mm-hmm. being a, a common issue for yep. a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Maybe do you want to expand on some of the, like, the causes of leaky gut and, like, what are some things that can really aggravate leaky gut?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, leaky gut or technically known intestinal hyperpermeability. <laughs> um, a lot of people don't like the term leaky gut. I don't think it's technical enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, in literature, intestinal hyperpermeability or tight junction breakdown is what to search for. Leaky gut's not going to show too much. Anyway, what is leaky gut? Mm. Um, as I said before, it's basically when the junctions that keep your, in- your epithelial together, they break down and allow stuff to enter. Things that can really break down that tight junction layer, gluten. People know about gluten and how they, and a lot of people feel better when they do a gluten-free diet. Mm. That's just one small thing. I think glyphosate is probably the worst of all of the things for the gut lining. Mm. I think I was reading somewhere, um, Stephanie Seneff, with one of her studies, said it's like a thousand times worse than gluten for breaking down the gut lining.
0: And so, what are some foods that are high <laughs> oh, in
1: glyphosate? <glad> <laughs> Unfortunately, there's quite a few. And unless you're buying organic, the um, chances are your food, unless it's part of the Clean Fifteen, um, or if you're eating a Dirty Dozen food, like strawberries, spinach, uh, wheat, soy, corn, all these things are going to have really high amounts of pesticides. Not necessarily glyphosate, but most pesticides and herbicides, fungicides, all have an effect on the junctions.
0: So it's not high in meat.
1: I don't think you need to spray a cow. But that said, um, certain animals, they will eat corn or they will eat grains and stuff like that. And then it can accumulate in their fat tissue. Mm. But, yeah, plants tend to be the things that it's highest in, specifically wheat and grains. So you said gluten, glyphosate. Did you mention alcohol? No, I didn't. But that <laughs> that one goes without saying in my mind. But yes, yeah. alcohol, definitely. Um, obviously, it's so inflammatory. Mm. It wrecks your gut microbiome. And when you have dysbiosis, that's another thing that can mm. cause leaky gut, the wrong bacteria or the wrong ratios of bacteria.
0: Yeah. Even um, what about like the stress? How does stress link into like leaky gut? Mm. Well, oh. obviously... If
1: you damage your gut, your body should be able to repair it. Everyone is going to have leaky gut at some stage. It's just sort of the constitution of the person, their dietary status, their stress levels that determine how quickly you rebound from mm. the stress. It's sort of like you're th- thinking of the gut lining is sort of like, look, thinking of a castle. That's your main defence. The walls are the gut lining. You might have a moat around it, which is your mucosal layer. Um, and on the inside is your, your citizens or the immune system. Um, if you have an attack from it, you'd hope that you've got enough immune system, Yeah, your immune system's functioning well enough to actually regenerate it and you know your, your castle's going to stay intact and mm. you're going to be protected. Where stress comes in is it basically lowers the ability of the immune system to repair the damage. Right. So if you are still having, if you're really stressed, that's where you really need to look after yourself with your diet because your ability to rebuild the walls is is lacking because mm. of the stress. Stress is immunosuppressive think even they use cortisol mimickers as immunosuppressive drugs Mm. so that shows how suppressive cortisol Mm. and stress hormones are to the immune system so if you are constantly stressed the damage will come in and your ability to repair the damage is impeded Mm. impaired so that's how stress ruins your gut and there's lots of other things that it
0: Mm. has negative effects on i think one other point is obviously the impact of stress on like causing nutrient deficiencies mm. or depleting nutrients yeah. and we know that like we mentioned zinc carnosine before mm-hmm. but what are some other key like real essential nutrients for gut healing and repair so-, so
1: zinc's obviously the big one um glutamine glycine a lot of amino acids that's why i'm a big proponent for animal-based nutrition or mm. not withdrawing animals from the diet is so important because glycine It's so hard to get enough glycine in your diet if you're not consuming bone broths or Mm. gelatinous food. Glycine is such an anti-inflammatory amino acid for the gut. Mm. So if you are trying your best to heal your gut, or you've gone plant-based, for example, and you've removed glycine and uh, some of the other collagen ones, but again, proline, Proline, yeah, yeah. hydroxyproline, yeah, all these ones that are essential for the gut lining and all of your your collagen structures, Mm. Um, you're making it, pretty challenging on yourself and another thing that can happen too is if you do increase the plant foods increase the fiber if you have that dysbiosis which we mentioned before you're literally providing the food for the bacteria and they can continue to grow and replicate and even produce the the bacterial endotoxins which can make mm. you feel bad so plant-based can be good for a lot of people i'm not going to say it's a bad thing but if you've got gut issues fiber and more plants might be the the way to fix your issue
0: mm. what are some of the um plant chemicals that are damaging in a sense like what are what are some of these mm. anti-nutrients <laughs> the anti-nutrients yeah well you
1: we spoke about gluten gliadin specifically um there's also lectins yeah uh i think what is it the phytic acids they're not necessarily mm. too bad they just inhibit mineral absorption yeah so things like your zinc which we're talking about being essential if you've got a lot of phytic acid in your diet that's going to bind to it and actually prevent it from being absorbed. Mm. Um, what else have you got as far as anti-nutrients? Oxalates. Oxalates,
0: yeah, they're big mm. too. Um, Are you sensitive to oxalates or any, other, any of these anti-nutrients yourself? I did an organic acids
1: test, but it didn't actually have the oxida- oxalate level on it. I know some, the new ones, they tell you your level of oxalates, but mine didn't. Mm. Um, I don't think I'm too sensitive to it, but
0: mm. I wouldn't mind testing it to see. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. So... We've just spoken about you know leaky gut um, from a naturopathic point of view. What do we, what do we? I mean, like, what are some of the things that we like to discuss in terms of optimizing gut health? Like, what are some of the things that we really encourage?
1: Uh, we encourage a lot of probiotic use. Like every naturopathic you've ever been to one will always be asking about your gut and your bowel movements and all that sort of stuff um probiotics are also commonly recommended again they're very individual specific like which probiotic you give someone Mm. for example with me personally um a probiotic yeast has been really beneficial for me um saccharomyces boulardii that one's been fantastic because if you've got candida albicans for example that's going to really be playing with your it's going to be messing your gut uh the how would i put it it's going to be messing up with the ratios of your good to bad bacteria yeah. and candida is really good at actually killing bacteria. Fungi tend to be a lot more superior than bacteria. Mm. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so Saccharomyces boulardii is a great one for sort of knocking candida on the head and mm. reestablishing the bacterial populations sort of how you'd like them. What else do we give? We give a lot of aloe vera things, mycolytics, um, yeah. oligosaccharides, all these other things. that sort of They, they sort of build up the moat of your castle more so than they build the walls Mm. the things we give like they are protective and the moat is pretty beneficial if you're if you're in a castle you want one of those too but sort of my focus is more on building the walls i think they're a bit stronger Mm. they're both important though.
0: what else um have we seen like what other benefits have we seen for um you know how does bpc affect people that have maybe used or abused their brain like have we seen (laughs) oh the um ability to regenerate um regenerate the brain
1: Mm. um it also has effects on the dopaminergic and serotonergic systems of the brain and um to be honest my knowledge of the whole neurochemistry stuff is a bit lacking compared to the gut healing and the musculoskeletal and connective tissue healing Mm. but yeah there's definitely a lot of studies looking into its effects for like helping people after a stroke for example or, you know, helping people with seizures. Again, you said it's gabinergic. It helps mm. with GABA. So seizures are like a glutamate imbalance. Yeah. So, yeah, if you can increase the GABA, there's lots of things that can increase GABA. Obviously, yeah. GABA itself could probably do that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, as BPC is a GABAergic, it has the potential to help with that. Mm. Um, traumatic brain injury, any, because it, it increases that VEGF, the vascular endothelial growth factor, which mm. increases blood vessel formation. So if you've had any sort of damage to your brain, for example, potentially that growth factor being increased could help with blood vessels um, regrowing in the brain, mm. delivering more nutrients, delivering more oxygen, and removing all the metabolic waste. So it can really help with brain injury recovery that way. Mm. I think this. I think it's a pretty similar mechanism for how it works on muscles and connective tissue. Again, the more oxygen delivery and nutrient removal, the better.
0: Mm. Yeah, I've seen um, I've seen some pretty glowing reports um online, and, and a few of my buddies from the states who um, you know, they've had experience using some of the potent stimulants like um, Ritalin, Adderall. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've they've actually had some success using BPC as like a a way to reduce tolerance or to smoothen out the negative effects of these hardcore stims, um, which is. Pretty interesting um in terms of uh it's like ability to regenerate or repair the dopaminergic system we don't really have a lot of research in that sort of space um but from my experience i what i did notice after the first week that i ran bpc was how caffeine then influenced me usually caffeine would make me feel pretty jittery or like anxious mm-hmm. um But I noticed that with BPC, my response to caffeine was a little bit different. I actually felt like it smoothened out the anxiety response. Okay. And then I also, you know, combined with other experiments and I just deployed other powerful dopaminergic Mm -hmm. stimulants and things like that. And I noticed that um, they were also smoothened out, like the um, negative effects were sort of blunted. Do you think that could be the gabanergic
1: system working? Because l L a lot of people combine the caffeine with the theanine. So the BPC could be acting similar to the theanine, potentially.
0: Potentially. I think um, another mechanism could be that it's protecting against the neurotoxicity as well. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Um, so that's one, I guess, unique feature of, uh, of BPC. It's so pleiotropic. It's got so many benefits. I love mm. the stuff. Mm.
1: Um, what else do we want to talk about with it? Um, you, you were saying that, obviously, there's not too many studies with it. Mm. Um. A big disclaimer for BPC, anyone looking to try it, it is mainly animal studies. Yeah. Um, at the moment, it's in a very grey area in the fact that pharmaceutical companies aren't going to necessarily invest in it because it's non-patentable. The body makes it itself. And naturopaths and natural healers don't necessarily want to use it because it's synthetic. So it's some of the, one of these grey areas where us biohackers yeah. sort of are the ones who are really keen on it, but not too many others are. Mm. Um, there have been There is a clinical trial underway at the moment for its use in ulcerative colitis, but everything else we're talking about, we pretty much need to tell people that this is based on animal studies. Yeah, it's really important to know that. Um, <clears throat> but the human studies, it's interesting. Um, the pep, a lot of the peptide research comes from Croatia or Russia. So the study that they're doing on ulcerative colitis now in Croatia... They had already done it, but they haven't. They um they completed the the uh the test, all of the, their their research, but it wasn't actually approved to be published because they hadn't done prior animal research. They just jumped straight into humans, and they said it got amazing benefits and it did everything that we've spoken about for gut healing. But because they didn't have that precedence of the animal studies, they had to basically go back and do it all in animals and. I think it took about ten years to get all the animal studies done and they're basically back to where they were ten, fifteen years ago now, where they're still doing the, the study. So they've literally they've
0: done that in reverse. Yeah. They've exactly. done the whole process <laughs> in reverse. Mhm. Yeah, mm.
1: the thing to remember too is, even though this is a research chemical, a lot of practitioners, functional medicine doctors, anti-aging practitioners are using peptides in what America. About, uh, in America, there you go. Europe to a lesser degree, but in America is really the main place. Australia used to have a really good standing with them, but as you were talking about um, with the Essendon bombers, that kind of nipped it in the bud a little bit. Mm. Um, they were they did use quite a few of them, many of which were actually beneficial, and it's real. It's a real shame that they all got thrown in together and we've sort of gone from a golden age back to a dark age because of that whole scandal mm. and sort of almost an over-regulation of them in response. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I'm pretty sure BPC was one of the ones that was being used as well purely because of its ability to... Like, having that in circulation, if you were to go off and play a game of football, having something that protects your brain against stroke, imagine you got a, a head knock or something like that. I would want that in my body to make to mitigate any damage. Mm. Um, we see a lot of ACL injuries Like every week it seems like a player is doing an, an injury, ACL, PCL or any of the uh, other ligaments and tendons. It's just very prevalent at the moment. Having something like that, I think from an ethical perspective, if people are going to go out every week and put their body on the line, what's the harm in actually allowing something like this in sport if everyone can have access to it? Mm. It's, not, it's not like steroids or something where there's potential harm long-term. It's very, very, very safe. It's not metabolized by the liver. Mm. So there's no sort of um, adverse reactions or adverse um, interactions with drugs. It's, it's broken down by hydrolyzed enzymes in, in circulation. Wow. So it's very safe in that respect. And the lethal dose, LD50, is 125 grams. In humans? Yeah, um, so it was done in, in animals, so the and then they, they converted it to about 125, so 125 gram. grams. Yeah 125 grams
0: is the LD50. <laughs>
1: yeah, and just for reference, 500 micrograms is the average dose. Interesting. And yeah, I think you, you from a cost perspective, let alone the logistics of actually ingesting <laughs> that much, you'd be up for over $100,000 to try and get a LD50. So that's 50% of people actually wow. dying from it, not everybody. So it's very, very safe.
0: Mm. I mean, if there are any side effects, what do you think they might be for some? Have you heard of any? The only
1: side effects I've really heard are when people inject it, and that's sort of like a local histamine reaction right. where they've injected it in the skin. Um, I have actually heard as well of people with autoimmune diseases, um, like Herxheimer sort of reactions, um, because I think, again, if you heal the gut... A lot of people tend to take it easy. A lot of the doctors I've heard speak about it. Mm. If someone's got going to have a lot of intestinal permeability, they don't tend to hit it too high because it can be a bit overwhelming to the system. Mm. Um, if you're taking the burden off of the immune system by sealing up that gut, then it's individually contextual what that immune system is going to do after that burden's removed. Mm. So if you've got viruses or bacterial overgrowth or something else in your body that's sort of been sitting on the back burner. You take the burden off the immune off the immune system in the gut, then it's going to go off and deal with that. Mm. And who knows what could happen um, after. It's really what your body needs to do with your immune system once the burden's removed.
0: Mm. One other thing, um, I know a lot of these peptides are contraindicated for like bleeding disorders. Mm-hmm. One thing that I did find interesting when I was researching BPC was its ability to normalize clotting. Okay. The clotting factors okay again this is absolutely not medical advice anyone on <laughs> warfarin or anything yeah do not you know do not apply this as an intervention um but from my experience when i did use bpc i used to be a i used to be a very heavy bleeder like when i get a little cut i just bleed like mm. um, i'm like my dad like we just bleed profusely um but when i was using bpc i noticed i didn't deliberately cut myself <laughs> just as just, just to test it out but i did get a cut and I did notice that the bleeding wasn't as bad as it usually is. Um, and I did—I remember seeing that study. It's like, oh, helping with platelets and helping with clotting. That was pretty cool. Um, mm, it's very interesting. I haven't yeah. heard that
1: about it. <laughs> cool. Um, what else would it be? It'd probably help you heal from the cut a lot better too. That's its main indication. Yeah.
0: It's very interesting. What else in the gut? Obviously, it's helping with IBS, um, supporting oh reflux. Mm. That's a huge one.
1: Yeah, well, it starts... uh, When you take an oral capsule, it's going to go through your whole gastrointestinal system. The first place where it'll be actually used is your stomach. Mm. So you're helping with ulcers, you're helping with reflux. That's pretty much its first indication, and that's what it was really studied with to begin with. Then all the lower bowel and the small intestinal stuff was sort of subsequent research when they found out how beneficial it was for reflux, for ulcers, for stomach issues.
0: So you're, you're saying that the focus of the original research on this peptide was purely just to see what it does in the gut, in the stomach.
1: For stomach ulcers, that was the very first study. The very first
0: study was on the stomach and Mm -hmm. analyzing what it does in the gut. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, with more and more research, we're finding that it's having effects all around the body. Yeah, exactly. um, Joints. And then all of a sudden now we've got bodybuilders and athletes (laughs) using this to heal shoulder injuries, knee injuries, um i find that fascinating i love it how it's it's like snowball research you know you find mm-hmm. one study and you know they want to analyze what it does in other parts of the body that's really cool, mm, really, it is. Really cool. i wonder if there's anything else that they found that <laughs> that's Re- similar
1: to that recently uh yeah and a similar compound to it ah uh, yeah yeah where they just it's just gone from one tiny little niche in the stomach and then wow it actually helps all of these other things that's mm. awesome Mm. And it's really cool. It's sort of a testament to the power of our own body too, because mm. we make this stuff ourselves. It's not like we're giving it something it's never seen before, mm. and that's why it works so well for the body. Is it? It can recognise the structure of it, and it knows exactly what to do with it. Mm. Um, it's just sort of maybe our diet and our lifestyle has made, meant that the small amount of BPC that our body would produce isn't actually doing the job anymore, and that's where supplementing it to support the body during what what can we say it's a pretty crazy time for the body to be alive with everything we're exposing it to from chemicals, stresses, EMFs, all these things sort of have an effect on our body and our, our gut and our overall health. So,
0: It's interesting, you know, um, people call us weird and like biohackers and on the fringe, or you know, because we're, we're experimenting with these compounds. But the reason why we're doing this is because, like you just said, The environment, like it's just there's so many things attacking us and hurting our biology that you know we need these things just to get back to baseline.
1: It sucks that that's the reality. I'd love to just be able to get everything my body needs from food, but I don't actually believe that's possible anymore. Not only is it all the additional stresses from the chemicals and the toxins and all that sort of stuff, Mm. it's the soil. We've spoke, uh, I know a lot of people have spoken about soil quality and um, the fact that the soil is really depleted in the minerals that we need. Zinc in the diet, unless you are eating lots and lots of oysters, and it's pretty hard to get enough of it. Most mm. 90% of people are not going to have enough zinc. Mm. Um, again, with magnesium, people speak excessively about how we need more magnesium. And again, that comes from the soil. Glyphosate, we spoke about its effect on the gut. It also affects the minerals as a chelator. It'll bind to all the minerals in the soil. Mm. So, if you're growing, we we'll use spinach as an, as an analogy. If you're growing, I don't even know if they use glyphosate on spinach. We'll, we'll use wheat as an example then. Yeah. If you're growing wheat and there would be an amount, amount of magnesium in the soil, if you start spraying glyphosate on it, it's going to bind up to all the magnesium in it, meaning you're not actually going to get any magnesium into the plant. Mm. Then you're going eat to the, eat the grains or eat whatever it is you're not going to be absorbing the magnesium. The same applies to most minerals, um, and that's even in your gut. Like if you were to eat zinc from oysters and then you were to have spinach or wheat or something like that, with the glyphosate in there as a chelator, once your stomach acid broken it up and freed it, there's a chance that the glyphosate that you've consumed will just bind to it, making it not available to you. Mm. I wish that wasn't the case i really really wish and if you eat organic foods you are obviously doing a lot right for yourself you're allowing these minerals to really re, you're allowing your body to um get back up to levels of these minerals that yeah. you need for health um and you're not consuming glyphosate which actually ruins the gut in another way because it it, it looks like um glycine the amino acid uh, we spoke yeah, about before yeah, yeah a lot of research again from Stephanie and says that it, yeah your body if it's deficient in glycine looks at glyphosate and they're very molecularly similar crazy so it can actually incorporate glyphosate into structures that would use glycine mm, and that's just not so going to work <laughs> so bad mm, i think that's a lot of it's carcin- carcinogenicity
0: yeah. comes from that mechanism mm, that makes sense and that's why um ray pete's so so big on the um the glycine yeah yeah he is <laughs> Bone broth, so yeah mm. I love, I love repeat stuff. (laughs)
1: It's very challenging. And that's something I challenge a lot of people to do is if you've got a belief about diet or lifestyle or even like BPC, like I'm wholeheartedly sold on it, but I always
0: challenge that belief. Good. Good. You need to. I agree 100% always. Like my brother actually, he he catches me out because he's like, oh man, you've done a complete 180, you know, like on one topic. You said it was good. Now it's bad good <laughs> like that's good
1: right yeah it's growth yeah yeah it's, it is it is it is absolutely mm. um like i was a real big advocate for ketogenic diet <laughs> yeah a lot of people have done it and it's a great short-term strategy for weight loss and i think contextually dependent it could be something that we do maybe two to four months of the year four. during winter just to for metabolic flexibility there you go yeah um and also contextually during the winter carbohydrate availability historically speaking is pretty pretty poor Mm. all the fruit and all the vegetables they have a real tough time growing in winter so what do we turn to animals Mm. we have our porks we have our all the animal foods and even the even the carbohydrates available is very limited in their carbohydrate content Mm. so i think in those times that's maybe when we'd go ketogenic but people who have done it for five six years i don't think that's contextually um coherent with our evolution
0: yeah, it makes me wonder if people have actually <laughs> structured a diet, literally a 365, like a, a diet for the year, mm. and see if they do, you know, chop and change. They might go carnivore mm. during the winter. Like, doesn't one of our mates, Stefan, I'm pretty sure he, he does like to, you know, cycle and rotate between different diets, different mm. time of the year, and that's a really smart strategy.
1: Yeah and just play around with it everyone's different so like plant-based i was saying how it it might not work for some people yet we hear time and time again how it helps a lot of people as well Mm. i think it's because it helps your liver and it provides all these um constituents which we study in our degree you get a small amount of those all the time but everyone's different Mm. and i really encourage everyone to play around with their own biology and figure out which diet works for you Mm. which supplement might work for you if any at all like you theoretically, you shouldn't need a supplement. But as we were saying, the, the, the diet and um, lifestyle factors and the environment's changed a lot where I think it's pretty important to have something, the right thing for you. Yeah. Because you can get carried away like oh my God. between the two of us. I think we've got a, a um, health food store worth of supplements.
0: Yeah.
1: But definitely. this is all part of our experimentation. We're trying to figure mm. out stuff for ourselves mm. and for our future, <clears throat> our future clients and people that we interact with. Mm. because we are going to be naturopaths one day. But I think it's important for us to practice what we preach Mm. and figure it out on ourselves first so we don't harm other people Mm. because we do some pretty interesting (laughs) stuff with what we experiment with. Like BPC, if we hadn't tried this ourselves, there's no way I'd be suggesting it to anyone, Mm. A, because of the price point, and B, because of the lack of human research. Mm. If I hadn't tried it out and got all the benefits in my family as well, hadn't tried it out and got the benefits, then I probably would be very hesitant to suggest it Mm. or at least... I would, have, yeah, I would have done it first on myself. Mm. Just a sort of ethical thing, really.
0: Yeah, I agree fully. Um, one thing you spoke about was, you know, you're a believer in experimentation mm-hmm. and, like, um, you know, testing out what works for you. Like, one thing I want to, like, really challenge our listeners to, you know, think about is, let's say, I want you to think about, like, a supplement that you've either been on For a long time, for example, fish oils, or Mm -hmm. you know, um, krill or fish oil. I want you to like really pay attention and think about whether or not you are benefiting from that, or whether you can actually, you know, feel good and and still get the benefits just through diet. You know, through seafood. I am just, I just want people to be more aware on like the things that they take and whether or not they're actually having a positive or negative effect. Um, And if it's not helping you, then you don't need to keep taking it. Exactly.
1: (laughs) I even encourage people to take a a period of time off something. If you've been taking it, see how you feel without it. Mm. Maybe you don't need it anymore. Maybe it wasn't actually doing anything in the first place. Mm. Or maybe it was even harming you. For example, multivitamin. I was taking a liposomal, so highly bioavailable um, form of a B-complex that had synthetic B6 in it, Uh prodoxine hydrochloride. I thought this is exactly what my body needed because I was quite stressed at the time and you meant to support the stress response with B vitamins. Mm. And I was so B6 deficient, I just kept driving it even further with this supplement that gave me this synthetic form of B6 which drives the deficiency even further. It wasn't until I changed, swapped it over. I'd been through three bottles of this stuff and just pushed it worse and worse and worse until I tried a different one or I actually removed it. I just stopped taking it and started to feel a little bit better. And it wasn't until I listened to a podcast from ATP Science Mm. where they spoke about all the synthetic vitamins that I actually understood what was happening.
0: Mm.
1: So I could have kept pushing it and probably getting worse with this fake B6 and even B9. It was a folic acid one as well. So I could have kept trying that, but I stopped. And then I noticed and listened to my body. And that's when I felt that, oh, crap. Maybe I was doing the wrong thing. Mm. And especially in a liposomal form, that sort of bypasses the natural absorptions and Jeez. stuff as well. So, Three bottles. Yeah, three Smashed bottles. Smash three bottles. <laughs> Not in one month, though. It was over like three months, but still, yeah, yeah. the
0: lipo bees. Did you notice any benefit at all when you when you first started?
1: Oh, because it had B12 in it, yeah. I got yeah. a heap of energy, but it was really um, – <clears throat> it didn't fix the brain fog that
0: I had. It just mm. sort of made me more
1: energised but less mm. focused.
0: That's mm. interesting. Yeah. Mm. That's pretty much it from BPC.
1: We can talk about other peptides that we've we've researched, not yeah. necessarily tried, but researched. Mm. Um, one I would like people to be aware of is one called GHKCU. Nice. It's a copper peptide. Yeah. Um, a lot of people have used this one. Um, in. It's actually in a lot of skincare products now, mm. um, and it's really good because it helps. Similarly to the BBC, it helps with collagen networks. So a lot of people are putting it in skincare as like an anti-aging peptide Um, I think Ellie Tura, do you know that skincare brand? Mm. I think he's been on um, Bulletproof Radio a lot. As a topical cream or...? Just as a serum, people are using it topically. Mm. Um, But also a lot of these practitioners in America are using it injectable because of its ability to heal. pretty much has a similar mechanism to BBC internally. Mm. But it's one of these ones that people can try um, topically and it really helps with um, ageing, with lines, with... uh, with the collagen network on your skin, so it's um that's a really interesting one. Um, mm. What else have we looked into peptide wise? There's TB five hundred. They usually are injected as well because oh, it's not. Combine that with the BPC, right? Yeah, mm. the TB five hundred has more of an affinity for muscle, right? Whereas the BPC is more the connective tissues. Mm. So the combination of those is used in America again, um, but. TB-500 does get broken down by stomach acid, so that one's non-negotiable. has to be either troche, so you just pop it in your mouth and it dissolves. Um, you don't swallow it, but it just dissolves similar to liposomals, I believe, mm. or you inject it.
0: Mm. What about some other synergistic uh, compounds with BPC?
1: <laughs> yeah, so um, a lot of people have taken a... It's not a psalm, but it's another peptide. It gets... It gets um, clumped in with the psalms because it's very very similar to them, but it's mm-hmm. not actually a psalm. It's a small picture, <clears throat> and that's called MK six seven seven. Right, I think it's Ibutamora. Mm-hmm. Um That one works and synergizes with BPC because it's a growth hormone secretagogue, so mm-hmm. it increases your release, your endogenous, so your body's own release of growth hormone. Right, it's not giving you extra growth hormone like something like injectable growth hormone would, but it's just tricky. It's not tricky, but it's working on the hypothalamus to. Uh, release more growth hormone right so bpc upregulates growth hormone receptors mm. and then mk releases more growth hormone so those two have been really really good synergy for people in the gym or people with injuries interesting or even those with lower growth hormone levels which i believe once you pass 30 or 35 as a male your growth hormone just plummets mm. so a lot of anti-aging docs are using it to sort of optimize people's levels
0: mm. What about some other compounds alongside BPC to support gut health? Are there any other, you mentioned carnosine.
1: Yeah, um, so there's another peptide that we've been looking into a lot lately. Um, This one is orally bioavailable, and there are a lot of human studies on it. Um, It's called the Razotide acetate. Okay. Yeah, the code to that one, people wanting to search it's AT1001. That's its, yeah, BPC's got a, a letter number code. Where can they search that? Um, PubMed. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah I, I always encourage people to look at PubMed. We'll put that in the show notes for our listeners. Yep. yep. So lorazotide acetate is a celiac um, disease mm. peptide. There's so many um, clinical trials being done in that at the moment. I think they're up to stage four, stage three and stage four trials for it. But this peptide's really good. It's a zonulin antagonist. Wow. So zonulin, as I may have mentioned before, um, that increases the hyperpermeability, the leakiness of the gut. If you can inhibit zonulin, it's actually something they test for as well in a lot of um, gut tests. They look at zonulin, they look at lipopolysaccharide, um, histamine and DAO. It's all part of this combination test. Mm. But zonulin's a real strong marker that you can find in the blood. And if you inhibit that, that prevents the junctions from opening and breaking down. So I think even Dr. Zach Bush, he has a product that was called Restore it's now called ion or something that. like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, his his whole thing is that's a zonulin antagonist. Right.
0: Um, What's I like in there though?
1: it's humic and fulvic minerals, um, and it's just like ancient soil or something like that. Is there research that are, he's he's claiming
0: it um, decreases zonulin?
1: Mm, he's he's done a lot of research on it, um, looking at um like a gluten insult or a glyphosate insult to it, and then you provide the. You take it before, actually, I believe how he did the study. I, I can't remember it too well, but he's he has done it. I watched a presentation where he presented slides of his own research on it. But um, Again, we take everything with a grain of salt. Yeah. I love Zach, but it is his product. So again, like too, I talk a lot about BPC because I my company sells it. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. Don't believe me. Look into it yourself. Um, and if you want to look into it, I think you'll find what we're saying is quite true. Mm. Um, we've been very open and honest in saying that it is animal research yeah. for the most part, so we might be stretching it a little bit, but a lot of, I've heard so many reports of it having benefit. Mm. Um, but, yeah, back to the razetide. Yeah. yeah, as a zonulin antagonist, that's really important for decreasing leaky gut and celiac. Um, some of the studies they would give, they have volunteers who had um, celiac disease, who would volunteer to have a gluten insult? Um, they had a which test torture for them, uh, right? I'm sure if you've had have celiac, you know you've been glutened, you feel <laughs> awful, um, and yeah, it's it's not it's not fun for the next mm. few days. But um, yeah, so the people in the study volunteered to have a gluten insult, and there was the control group, which unfortunately everything you would expect happened, and the ones with lirazotide and it pretty much completely mitigated the effect of the gluten insult. Wow. By having lorazotide at I think one milligram orally, yeah, orally. Oh, no. Again, it's one of these. It's one of the very few that's orally bioavailable.
0: So my question is, could this be used post gluten exposure for a healthy mm. human potentially?
1: It could. I mean, the zonulin antagonist um, nature of it would be something that would be beneficial. I'd be interested to know the half-life because I can't actually remember it off the top of my head. Mm. If the half-life is short, then that would explain why it would work pre, but if post, if you've got too much zonulin floating around causing the leaky gut and the leaky brain, then having that could be good. But I'm pretty sure it just works in the lumen because zonulin is actually released from our enterocytes or colonocytes into the lumen and then it's absorbed and then it breaks down the junctions. It's Mm. not... It's difficult to explain, but it's released and then reabsorbed. So I think it kind of needs to work in the in the gut. Mm. Um, so to answer your question, would it work for someone healthy? Probably, but I would be wanting to take it pre rather than post just yeah. based on my understanding of how it works.
0: And not just for gluten exposure, but mm. for
1: what else? Like- for whatever triggers zonulin, whatever causes leaky gut, which we've spoken about before, like alcohol, um, SIBO, bacterial
0: overgrowth glyphosate Mm. bleed and all these other things so so obviously loperamide would be you know synergistic with bpc So,
1: lorazotide yeah it would absolutely Um, bpc is going to be fixing the structures and lorazotide is going to basically be we'll go back to the castle analogy (laughs) lorazotide is basically disarming the people trying to break down your walls right we look at there the swords and the spears and the catapults of zonulin. They mm. have a really strong effect at breaking down the walls. Mm. BPC is your bricks and mortar. It's building up the wall. Um, all of our mucolytics um, and oligosaccharides are building the moat. Mm. And lorazotide is basically just disarming the attackers. So you can you can see how the combination of a lot of these things can yeah. really keep you protected from gastrointestinal insults.
0: Gastrointestinal insults, but but then also boosting the immune system. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're all paranoid about the immune system right now mm. due to a particular virus that's, you know... Never heard of it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, and so that, that there could be, you know, pretty beneficial, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, we just have to look at the people who are suffering from this. It's the ones who are metabolically unhealthy. It's the comorbidities and pretty much... I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that if you've got a comorbidity, there's a high likelihood you've got a, a gut issue. Mm. Like pretty much every autoimmune disease has leaky gut to some extent. Um, obesity, if you're obese, you are eating the foods that have lots of glyphosate, I hate to say True. it, and you are getting a lot of toxins because there's a whole theory about obesity <coughs> is the reason you're obese is to dilute the toxins. We, I think we saw that at the biocytical event we went to. It's purely if you've got something toxic, you dilute it. So how do we dilute it in our body? Fat. That's where we store it. We don't store it in organs. We don't. We shouldn't store it in organs. If you're really too lean and you don't have any fat, then maybe that'll happen. <laughs> but um, we tend to just store our toxins or heavy metals, um, pesticides in fat tissue. So if you're not absorbing them in the first place, then you're not actually needing to create fat tissue mm. for the purpose of diluting. It doesn't mean you can eat whatever you want if you've got a healthy, um, non-leaky gut. It just means that your body's not going to try and protect you by diluting the toxins. So how that's going to protect you, I mean, uh, what are they called, adipocytes, um, adipokines. Mm. So if you're not obese, you're not, you've are not. you got a lot less inflammation, your immune system is a lot better. Um, if you don't have leaky gut, as we said, um, your, your immune system isn't overly preoccupied, trying to clear up the bacteria and the toxins and the um, pathogens and God knows what else is in your gut that's trying to come in and then yeah you're a lot
0: you're a lot you're in a
1: lot better position to protect yourself from anything internal
0: mm. let's touch on um, what are some commonly we spoke about probiotics mm-hmm. what else is being used right now to support gut health
1: yeah so a lot of people take fiber like psyllium husk and stuff like that and i call that roughage <laughs>
0: <laughs> thinking of
1: leaky gut is like
0: is that going to just fill in the, the little leaks in the gut.
1: <laughs> it's going to be like putting sandpaper on an open wound, in my opinion. It's mm. going to be too abrasive. So psyllium husk, not not a fan. Um, a lot of plant fibres too can be a bit rough on the gut. Having,
0: having said that, with psyllium, there is a time and place. Yeah. There's still a time
1: and place. Yeah, if you don't have, to have overly leaky gut and, I don't know, if you're having issues with constipation it could help well, knock on wood i probably wouldn't yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um but the things that i think would work for people um would be what's it called hydrolyzed guar gum yep. yeah 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 that's a really
0: good one it is
1: um aloe vera juice is pretty good as well um what are some others i've forgotten them already <laughs> yeah I literally learned about them five weeks ago in uh in pharmacology I've forgotten the names. Therapeutic of nutrients. Mm, like licorice is another oh, one. Oh, yeah, D- yeah, DGL. Mm. Mm. Just sort of thinking of the non-nutrient ones than more the naturopathic things. Um, anyway. Mm.
0: Can't really remember what else could <laughs> I hope they cut this. <laughs> uh, okay. um, one of the things I obviously like vitamin A. Uh, like vitamin A is obviously for our... For our listeners, so like vegetarians and vegans, so like the ability to convert the pro-vitamin A found in like carrots um, and some other vegetables is actually very much limited in the body. So it's very difficult for the human body to then convert those plant-based vitamin vitamin A, the retinoids, um, into the active form. Mm. And we know that vitamin A is crucial for actually reducing that leaky gut um, and, and strengthening the overall intestinal health in general. Very true. Got mm.
1: forgot to mention that one. <laughs> um, another thing too when we're talking about plant-based is zinc carnosine. Mm. Zinc, as we said before, mainly animal foods, carnosine is 100% animal foods. There's no plant form of carnosine. And carnosine is actually so beneficial they're studying it for colon cancer because it's so anti-inflammatory to colonocytes. Really? Yeah, And unfortunately, (laughs) unless you're a vegetarian and vegan who's supplementing carnosine, you're not getting any of it in your diet. And anyone who says meat's not healthy, I'd challenge them because you're (laughs) getting plenty of B vitamins, you're getting plenty of zinc, you're getting plenty of carnosine, you're getting creatine, you're getting conjugated linoleic acid, taurine, and saturated fats, which they are very good for you. I will not hear anything to the contrary. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Kidding. What what, what fats are actually problematic? Poofers. The poofers. (laughs) The poofers, the polyunsaturated fatty acids. They're probably another thing that's contributing to leaky gut too because if you're consuming too many poofers, um, they make up your membranes.
0: For our listeners, um, polyunsaturated fatty acids, poofers, they're things like canola oil, sunflower oil, vegetable oils. Mm -hmm. All of these are very unstable. Yep. So when they enter the body, um, they then are very reactive and they cause things like lipofuscin, and what else do they damage? are oh, just local. Because they're oxidized, they can um,
1: make up your membranes and then you've got a really fragile membrane being made in a cell anywhere in your body. And, and what's the, um, the brown spots? Have you heard about the brown spots? <laughs> the lipofuscin. Yeah, the lipofuscin. Oh, the only time I've heard about it is because Jack Cruz has a heap of it on his body because uh, he's yeah. a big DHA and EPA yeah. advocate. Um, to be honest, my perspective on polyunsaturates is we need to look at them from an evolutionary p- perspective. Mm. Everything dietary, we need to look at evolutionary. I think they make up 2% of our total fat intake. So that's the 2%. level. 2 to 3%. Right. If you look at the foods that we've eaten in the past, like meats and vegetables and nuts, even nuts, the total intake of fats, it would make up about 2% from an evolution perspective. Mm. Paul Saladino had it in his book, that number, so... We can check his preferences if we need to 2% of that. our diet was what? Puffers. was Puffers, yeah. The yeah. rest were mono and, and um, saturated. saturated fats. So mono and saturated dominated. Absolutely, they did. Yeah. And when you do a, like a, a biopsy of a human, the fat percentage should be 97% mono and saturated fats. Mm-hmm. These are so important that we actually make saturated fat ourselves. We have a, a mechanism in our body to create more of it. We don't have that for polyunsaturates. I think there so might be a are they essential
0: <laughs> essential fatty acids. Yes, well, that's a good question. That's one that I want other people to answer for me. <laughs> so we're saying essential fatty acids because you know they're marketed DHA and EPA. They're marketed as EFAs. Yeah, because we can't make them ourselves, we need to consume
1: them. Is the narrative? So where do they become essential? It's a good question. Right? Are they essential? We'll leave that to the Peak fans to answer. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't mm. know. Personally, I've not ha- I've not been supplementing um, polyunsaturates, your yeah, fish oils, neither have I. your omega sixes, and I feel a lot better for it. I feel
0: so mm. much better since mm. dropping my fish oil.
1: Yeah, there's a big <clears> argument <throat> that it works on the prostaglandins and the cyclooxygenase you know, anti-inflammatory pathways, but for goodness sake, I don't think that's. I think there's a lot better ways you can get anti-inflammatory benefits than using something exactly. that has the potential to oxidize in your body and make up your membranes. <clears> and um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of them. I'm yet to see good quality evidence that Mm -hmm. they're actually beneficial for
0: your health. You just said um, um, you'd use other things for anti-inflammatory. Yeah. Uh, Carnosine. Exactly. Potent anti-inflammatory.
1: Palmitol, ethanolamide, PEA. PEA as well. CBD. All these things, mm. can, cannabid, cannabis for CBD for those who don't know what it is. Mm. Um, all these things are fantastic. They work on the similar systems. Um, PEA is such a strong one. Um, yeah, I've used that a fair bit myself, and it does work on the same cyclooxygenase, uh, prostaglandin pathways as um, fish oils. Right. Um, turmeric. You talk about it uh, all the time about how good it is, yeah. and yeah, it is good. It works on the co- on those same pathways. Mm. Fish oil. Not, not, still not convinced. So what's your stance then on seafood? Um, so like if you're eating, it depends on where you are in the equator too, actually what percentage of the poofers make up the fish. Mm. Ones further from the equator tend to be higher in polyunsaturates because when it gets, um, I think even something to do with temperature. Ones that are close to the equator, sorry, are high in fats, um, saturated fats and ones that are further closer to the poles tend to have a lot more polyunsaturated fats. Right. I think that's something to do with their... Um, it's an actual protective mechanism for them because of the freezing point of the fats. So the fish in the really cold um, climates will have more poofers to protect them from freezing, mm-hmm. whereas the ones in the tropical have more saturated. Right. So when we look <clears throat> at tribes or cultures that on the equator they are eating a lot of saturated fat from the fish even if they are eating fish it's super high in saturated fat and quite low in poopers whereas the ones that are like your salmons and your tunas and all your deep sea fish the reason they have that is to protect themselves mm. and how easy would it have been for us to catch these fish in the past before boats pretty damn hard salmon may be kind of easy but yeah um i think you're in the, uh an area in the world where you poopers might be of somewhat benefit um, but still, like, the the, the, the um, fat content of fish is really high in saturated fat still. Really? Yeah. So fish, I salmon? <laughs> Maybe not salmon. I think, yeah, actually salmon has more saturated has fat in it than, yeah.
0: than steak. It, hang on. Yeah, I'm pretty damn sure. Salmon has saturated fat? Yeah. I thought majority of... Uh,
1: major- a lot of it is the um, omega-3s. But really? there are saturated fats in a lot is of fish. Is it cholesterol? Probably. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I'll have to look that one up. But I'm, Yeah. Yeah, I remember hearing um, oh. someone was trying to debunk the whole red meat myth and they said, well, a lot of people who are proponents for the pescatarian mm-hmm. or even the um, Mediterranean diet mm. will come after red meat. But then you look at the fish and you see that the fish has more saturated fat, the thing they're actually targeting of the red meat, than the red meat does. Mm. So it just sort of – because f- fish is a lot fattier than red meat. Like if you have a a lean steak, it might only be 5%, 10% fat Mm. just by looking at it. But fish has got fat everywhere in it. So it's mm, there's a lot of um, these little challenging things in in nutrition. And that's a real big thing in nutrition too is um, how reliable is our evidence? What are we basing our our, um, recommendations on? Mm. And that's why we've got to question everything.
0: Question everything. Mm -hmm. So if somebody has exposure to these puffers or they want to you know reduce the damage that they've done through years of canola oil or or let's just say they've had a they've had a meal that's high in puffers mm-hmm. is there something that you would call upon to help protect and mitigate some of that damage
1: yeah i'd call upon the exact things that nature uses to protect you protect the um the the seed or whatever has the puffers in That's selenium, vitamin E. Boom. If you look at a nut, if you're going to eat a nut, yes, it might have poofers in it, but it is balanced out with those nutrients. Mm. They are what protect it from getting oxidized in itself. It's when we extract these oils independent of the vitamin A, vitamin E Mm -hmm. um, seleniums that they become problematic Mm. because we don't have the antioxidants to quench the oxidative stress from consuming it.
0: Well said, man. (laughs) Well said. Um, Yeah, Completely resonate with that, mm. and that just one hundred percent makes sense from a um, biochemistry point of view. Cool. Um, anything else I wanted to chat about? Man, we could chat about
1: anything. But okay. I think just for the fact that we've been going for <laughs> quite so, a long time, yeah, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up in a minute. But yeah, Sweet. just um, letting everybody know that yes, everything I've said is animal-based study about this is about BPC. Yeah, um, I do have a conflict of interest. Hundred percent transparent with that. Mm. It's an animal studies. I own Level Up Health, which sells it in Australia. Um, buying BPC, you could buy it from me, but you know, you do your own research. If you trust my brands and the fact that we use HPLC tested, we get our, all of our products HPLC tested to verify that the ingredient is actually in it. Mm. Uh, we get it sourced in Australia, not from China, which is questionable with the efficacy of it. And getting it into Australia is actually quite difficult. Um, a lot of people get their C's. There's a lot of really good labs and really good companies overseas that I recommend. So if any listeners are from America, made Compounding, Canada I've got Can CanLab. Yep. These companies are fantastic and their quality is perfect. Mm. But in Australia, I can't really vouch for any – I don't know too many people actually selling apart from myself and the, my manufacturers. So mm. um, I'd just say – if you buy from China, by you're doing it at your own risk because customs will likely seize it because they actually don't understand what it is. Mm. They see it in a vial and they get scared. I think it's something naughty. I remember one of our mutual friends, um, Coach Jake. Um, he bought it in and it got seized, and they said it was testosterone or something like that. I'm like seriously? <laughs> so. Um, Yeah, it's pretty hard to get in, but luckily we've got a really good team, a really good manufacturer who Mm. doesn't cut corners with it and provides exactly what you're after. Mm. Um, It's
0: not for human consumption though, wink, wink. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's um, obviously that's the reason why we're here today. Um, And also, I mean, you guys know that I stock products on my site. Um, If you didn't know that, definitely check out my website, ergogenichealth.com.au. I'll be linking to um, Kyle's BPC um, in the in the show notes. Um, and any, anything else that we mentioned throughout this podcast, I'll also link in the show notes, maybe some studies we can link to.
1: Oh, man, my website's got a, um, a write-up, BBC 157 The Wolverine Peptide. When I'm reading people's blogs, the thing that annoys me is when they make a statement and don't have a reference. Mm. So at the end, I've got every single study available for PDF download for anyone who's really interested and wants to go in the weeds with this stuff and make it as transparent as possible so i've got a really good study on there i'd be happy to share it with you and um anyone who's interested LevelUpHealth.com.au. i've got all of the um, information on bpc and i'll be putting more information up soon about the lorazotide acetate the anti-celiac peptide and a few Mm. of the other ingredients we've been speaking about today
0: Mm. awesome well um thanks for joining in everyone and um thanks for coming in today kyle and um We will be in touch shortly. Thanks for having me, Lucas. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you, everyone, for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash boostyourbiology. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want.